You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. We're jumping back into our series in Matthew that we've been in for about a year and a half. We've taken a few little breaks. And so it may feel like we're jumping into the middle of a movie, but I promise we're not. Chapter 19 is kind of a transitional chapter as Jesus leaves the region of Galilee and actually heads towards Jerusalem uh, to uh, die his death, sacrifice his life as a ransom for many. And so what we'll see over these next few chapters is, um, yeah, what it looks like for you to give of your life. That's kind of what we're going to see, the cost of following Jesus Christ and how it uh, changes uh, every relationship you have, including uh, marriage. And so I just want to give a quick caveat here. Uh, we are dealing with a subject called divorce today because that's what the text deals with here in just a second. I'm not going to be able to unpack everything um, about divorce and remarriage because that's not the purpose of this text either. And so if you go on our app, so if you have not downloaded our app, I'd encourage you to do that. We post a Sunday bulletin digitally every single week. And on that app, you'll see the little link. You push Sunday bulletin and you'll see two articles uh, that I would encourage you to, if you want to kind of have an expanded view of where we stand as far as divorce and remarriage, those two articles would be uh, good ones to start with. One's pretty technical and long. Another one uh, is one that written by our New Albany Church that kind of condenses that teaching into kind of like a nine-page document, even though that sounds kind of long either. Uh, the other one's about 20 pages. So you, you, you got your druthers there, right? Whichever one you want to dive into, but both of those will kind of give you a, a, a more fuller perspective on where we're at as far as divorce and remarriage. All right, aren't you glad you came to church? First chapter 19, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 10. So hear the word of the Lord. So when Jesus uh, had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region uh, of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Now some Pharisees approached him to test him and they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning male, uh, made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? And he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. So Father, I just ask for help, me personally, um, as well as all of us in this room, God. May we hear the, uh, the life-givingness of the Word of God. And I pray that our vision of God the Father is one who is full of compassion and mercy and kindness as we work through this passage today. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. And if you feel comfortable to take your mask off, you're, you're welcome to do that during the sermon. Just ask that you guys put them back on 
uh, after we take communion here in just a minute. So you may be thinking the same thing I was thinking when um, uh, I started looking at this passage early on, um, that what in the world is this not a great passage to preach on kind of like celebration day, 20-year anniversary, we're going to talk about divorce. And so originally, uh, a few months ago, when I was kind of building out my uh, preaching schedule, I, I'd kind of given this to a good friend of mine, Brad House, who will actually be here next week to preach. And so, uh, and then I kind of felt bad. So I, I took it back and said, I'll, I'll, I'll do this one. I feel like this is one uh, that our church body needs to kind of hear from me and not, even though Brad's preached here quite a few times and a good friend of mine, uh, I'm not really serving you guys well, as well as my good friend to like throw this passage of scripture on him. So um, yeah, I was hoping that would I think you chuckled a little bit. I can't really tell. So I was hoping that make you laugh a little bit. So uh, it, even though it's kind of a um, difficult passage in some regards, I, I do think the most interesting thing about it is that it has a way of highlighting uh, what we have tried to be about as a church from day one. Um, and this, this is kind of the framework that I'm wanting to encourage you to think about as we work through this passage here in just a minute. Uh, and the best way I can illustrate this is out of John chapter 4. So John chapter 4, if you're unfamiliar with it, it's a conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. And in this conversation, uh, there's a couple observations real quickly that you can make about Jesus. The first one is this, is that in and through Jesus, all are welcomed. So Jesus is talking to a woman, huge no-no in that time. And Jesus is also talking to a Samaritan woman. And Jesus is a Jew and Jews and Samaritans never talked hung out, they hated each other. And so in that passage, just a real quick observation you can make is that all are welcomed in and through Jesus. And that's exactly what this Samaritan woman felt and experienced from Jesus. And so from day one, um, when this church started 20 years ago, when we launched as a campus 10 years ago, we have been about making sure that everyone feels welcomed here. No matter where you are spiritually speaking, all are welcomed, whether you are poor or rich, a blue collar or white collar, black or white, Asian or Hispanic, young or old, Democrat or Republican, Wicca, atheist, agnostic, spiritual but not religious, straight, gay, lesbian, question, transgender, divorced, not divorced, in and through Jesus, all are welcomed. All are welcomed. And so if, you, if you're one who's tuning in online or even here today and you are divorced, I want you to hear the compassion, the kindness, the goodness of Jesus. You are welcomed here. You are not second-rate Christian. You are not damaged good. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. God does not hate the divorcee. Yes, God is brokenhearted over the breaking of your marriage, but God sees you with compassion and mercy and kindness. There is a place for you because in and through Jesus, listen to me, all are welcomed. All are welcomed. And then at the same time, the second observation and framework that I want you to see in John chapter 4 as we jump into Matthew 19 here in just a second is that in and through Jesus the truth is spoken and we need to submit our lives to the truth that is spoken. So you see in John chapter four, Jesus doesn't hide away from the truth of what's going on in this woman's life. He doesn't dismiss her sin. He doesn't disregard it. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He actually confronts her with her sin. He says, hey, yeah, I know you've got, been married five times and the guy you're shacking up with right now is not your husband. So he 
He confronts her in her sin, not to make her feel bad about herself, to make her feel like unnecessary guilt and shame, to feel condemned. No, he confronts her with her sin because Jesus knows that this is not where life is found. And I want to confront you with your sin so that you can realign your heart and life under where life is found, which is under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. So in and through Jesus, yes, all are welcome, but in and through Jesus also, truth is spoken. And we as people of God, under the leadership and reign and rule of God, we want to align ourselves under what he says where life is found. So we want to be confronted with the truth. And so it's these, these kind of two tensions that I'm, that I'm unpacking kind of Matthew 19. It's a the framework that I want you to, to see here, that all are welcomed. And at the same time, I want to hear the truth about marriage. What is God's desire for marriage? What is his design for marriage? What does he want out of marriage? And God holds a very high view of marriage. And so then, therefore, the people of God do also. And so I'm, I'm trying to, as best I can, navigate both these tensions. And at the same time, recognize I'm not going to answer all your questions today because that's not the primary point of this text. That's why I'm encouraging you to go and read some of the other material that I've given to you so you can kind of have a broader understanding of what's going on here in the area of divorce and remarriage. And so with this framework, all are welcome and in, in through Jesus. And then we want to hear and submit our lives to the truth of Jesus when it's spoken. And we see that here in Matthew 19. So start in verse 3. Let me just kind of start and kind of work the passage a little bit and then land on a couple uh, applicational thoughts for us today. All right, starting in verse 3. Some religious leaders approach Jesus in order to test him, or you can even use language like to trap him. And they ask him this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Or uh, the NIV translates it for any and every reason. And so the backstory here is this, is that there's a, there's a little word in Deuteronomy 24.1 uh, that's a massive debate in this time of what exactly does that little word mean. And, and here's the verse in Deuteronomy 24.1. I think it's on the screen here. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. That's one word in the Hebrew language, indecent about her. And so there are kind of two schools of thought in this time of how you translate and interpret indecent about her. So um, I'm not going to try to, uh, to name the Hebrew name of what those two schools of thoughts were. So I'm just going to put it in my language. The conservative thought, all right, the more traditional way of understanding this word was that it had kind of like one meaning and one interpretation. That one meaning would be just any sexual uh, behavior that's indecent, including adultery, is how you would define this word. So then therefore the man can divorce his wife. That would be kind of more of the conservative traditional thought in this time. The more liberal, more progressive view would be, yes, any sexual misbehavior as well as adultery, but also would be included in there is, is a whole lot of other, other things that they would describe as indecent about her. For example, if the man found another woman that was better looking, he could go home and say, wife, sorry about your luck, but see you later. She's way better looking than you are. Or, hey, she burnt the dinner, you know, then... I'm done. I'm out of here. And I'm not making these up. This is actually what, what's going on in this time. And so, so the question that the Pharisees are asking is not, 
to really find an answer. Remember that. That's very important for us to remember context here. They're not trying to figure out exactly what this word means. They're, they're not, you know, they're just trying to test Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus, trying to find a way to, to you know, get him to contradict the word of God possibly, as well as to become unpopular. So we, you know, we saw in verse one there, it talks about the large crowds that are following Jesus, which made the religious leaders at that time very jealous. And so the popular view of that large crowd would be that you can kind of divorce your wife for about anything, really. And so they're just wanting to see if he would say something that would make him begin to be unpopular. And so here's his response. Look what he says in verse four. So haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus doesn't even address the word in Deuteronomy 24.1. He actually goes all the way back to Genesis chapter two and he talks about what most theologians would say like the creational intent. So what was, what was God's intention in creating marriage? What was his creational intent here? And what Jesus is trying to emphasize here is that when God made marriage, when he invented marriage, God's vision and desire for marriage was that it would be permanent. And that word that is used there in verse five to where it says to be joined to his wife is kind of the word of like attached or even more literally like cemented together. And so we, we have the fuller revelation of God on why God created marriage. We see this in Ephesians chapter five is because marriage was always going to be a pointer to a greater reality. Marriage was never gonna be an end in itself. It was always pointing forward and that greater reality as we see in Ephesians five is a picture of Christ's love and relationship with his church, with the people of God. And, and Christ's love for his church is not fickled. It's not, you know, yeah, it's not built upon the church's performance. It's unconditional. It's, it's chasing after us. It's, it's faithfulness. It's, there's steadfastness. There's a uh, a stick to itness. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with all the words and metaphors I can come up with up here of, of the love that Jesus has for his church. And that's to be kind of reflected and seen in the marriage relationship between the husband and wife. And so the emphasis here is basically Jesus saying, look, if you're asking the question, and I'm paraphrasing here, but if you're asking the question that says, hey, Jesus, give me a verse so I can divorce my wife, then you're missing the point of marriage. Give me some kind of reason in the Bible so I can get rid of my wife, then you're missing the whole big picture of what God wants in marriage. It's about permanence. It's not how can I get out? No, how can I stay in? It's about this, this love that's unconditional and it pursues, it chases, it, it stays with you. But, the religious leaders keep pushing. Look what he says there in verse seven. So Jesus, this is what God's intentions was, that marriage stays at it, that they stay together, that it's permanent, right? It's a promise, it's a permanence there. If that's what it was about then, then why 
didn't Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away then? And Jesus said this, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. So notice the change in wording here. They said, then why didn't, you can keep it up there real quick, Trevor. Uh, Why did God command, right? You see that, to give divorce papers and send her away. And then Jesus responded back, Moses permitted. So Jesus is going, look, this is not, this wasn't commanded by Moses. This was what we might call a, a, a law of concession, that it was permitted by Moses. Jesus is saying that this law was kind of a concession command, one that is to protect a woman in a patriarchal society from abuse. Why this law in Deuteronomy was made, this is the reason why. This was not God's vision. This wasn't his desire for marriage. But this law had to be made in order to protect a woman from abuse in this culture in the time that Deuteronomy 24.1 was written. R.T. France, a, a Matthew scholar, wrote this in his commentary referring to this verse. He says this, the law here in Deuteronomy was a response to human failure, an attempt to bring order to an already unideal situation caused by human hardness of heart. It was the fact that divorce was taking place in defiance of God's stated intention for marriage that made it necessary for Moses to make appropriate provision. But it should have never been so. The existence of divorce legislation is a pointer not to a divine approval of divorce, but to human sinfulness. So it wasn't Moses commanded because of the hardness of your heart, he permitted it. Then Jesus confronts with a truth here that's hard for a lot of us to hear, but verse nine, he says this, I tell you, all right, I tell you, one writer talks about whenever Jesus says this, it's, a, it's the place of Jesus' deepest conviction, God's highest will. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So I get it. I know a lot of us are probably asking, is that, is that the only grounds? Is that, is that it? The word sexual immorality is a, a Greek word that means pornea. It's what's pronounced as, and it, um, it's used in a lot of ways in the New Testament from you know, sexual sin all the way to any kind of sexual sin all the way to adultery here. And so some of us are going, okay, is that the only grounds for divorce? And, and once again, I'm reiterating that this is not Jesus' complete and full teaching on marriage and divorce and remarriage. You've got to bring in the other words of Jesus. And the reason why I call them the other words of Jesus is because we don't believe that the the red letter words are the only inspired words of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, nothing wrong with this. Please don't go throw your Bible away. So some gospels will, will put the words of Jesus that he actually spoke in red letters so you can kind of see where he's talking and where he's not talking. The only problem with that is that the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, is the words of Jesus. And so there are other words of Jesus, i.e. the Apostle Paul that wrote in 1 Corinthians 7 that talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And in those words, you can see 
that there's a place for um, abuse, can be a reason and a ground for divorce. Abandonment can be a reason and a ground for divorce. But, but here, I just, this is the tension. I'm trying to help us feel the, the high standard that Jesus is putting on marriage that we, who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, are to live under. And this is where life is found. That we, we don't just divorce when things are not working out or we fell out of love or, you know, she wasn't really doing it for me or he wasn't doing it for me anymore or whatever it is. No, there, like we're, we're not trying to find a reason to get out. No, we're, we're, we're asking God for the strength and the stamina to stay in and work on this. So Jesus is saying here that even though marriage is meant to be for a lifetime, a covenant that should be held up high, because of the fallen nature of humanity, God did make a way for people to get out of some marriages. Just like I said, sexual immorality has a wide range of use from sexual sin to adultery. But once again, the point that Jesus is trying to make to these religious leaders is simply this. You say you obey the Ten Commandments. You say you are one who falls in line with all of Moses' words. Jesus is pushing back and saying, no, you are actually committing adultery when you shove off your wife for no reason and grab a new one because God's intent for marriage is permanence. It's a promise for life. That's why in verse 10, what the disciples say, you're supposed to laugh a little bit because they get what Jesus is saying here. I mean, look what they say. And the disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. I mean, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I've said this before, um, but anytime I've done, officiated a ceremony for a wedding, one of the things I do in, in my gospel little talk that I give um, is I always talk about marriage is really hard. It's both and. It's really beautiful, but at the same time, it is really hard because it's for life. And so it's a, it's a journey of both husband and wife learning and learning how to die to yourself. And when you die to yourself, it's herein where life is found. But as long as you try to hold on to yourself, then you lose life. I mean, Jesus said that. You can put that in, in the context of any relationship, specifically in the context of marriage. Marriage is really hard at times and it can be very messy and it doesn't come easy for most of us. So, with this in mind, I just want to land with a couple of thoughts here, right? And I, and I get it. Once again, I know maybe... You want more understanding of where we all land in divorce and remarriage, please just encourage you to read those articles. But I just want to land with a, a couple of applicational thoughts that specifically for marriage, because I think it, it goes for all of us in this room. The first one is this, and this may be one that you already know, but it's really good for us to hear again. Jesus, God in the flesh, sees marriage as a covenant, not a contract. 
It's something we need to be reminded of as the people of God. It is a covenant. Marriage is not built upon if you, then I. I mean, I say this every time when I do a marriage ceremony in a humorous way. The spouse, husband, or wife, you know, to be, are not coming up with their little list and saying, hey, hang on a second. Before we do our vows, I want to make sure, right, you, you, you follow these things, right? If, you, if you're doing this, then I'm in. If you're not doing this, then I'm out. No, you, you come and you vow, not present love. What do you vow? You vow future love. I will, I will. It's not if you, then I. No, it's I will. I will love you no matter what I'm getting from you. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm vowing before you and God and this company of people that I will love you. It's, it's permanent. It's, a, it's a, a cementing of two lives into one, and it's not to be easily broken. Our approach to marriage ought to resemble uh, the answer that Rosine Pride, who's the wife of Charlie Pride, an artist, when she was asked what the secret is to their long marriage of 60 plus years, and I think I've got it on the screen, and she says this, the main reason is that neither of us has died. (laughs) Which is so true. For her, divorce was not the option they had avoided, but it was not an option at all. And I would put before you that no marriage that is not consciously and unconsciously committed to permanence can survive. So look, I I don't know everyone's story in here. I don't. I don't know everyone's story that's watching online. But my, my gut would tell me this after being in pastoral ministry for almost 30 years, that there are some of us in this room and maybe even watching online who are really thinking about just getting a divorce, be done. I'm through trying, I'm through working. And I'm not trying to be trite. Um, I get it, man. Um, I wish every crisis in marriage was as cut and dry as there was adultery or there was abuse. It's not like that. I get it, man. Relationships are really, really messy. But I want to encourage you to stay at it. Don't give up. Work at it. God is not surprised at the difficulty that you're going through right now. Your marriage is a covenant not a contract. That's number one. Jesus sees your marriage as a covenant, not a contract. Last thought is this. Keep your heart soft, tender toward God and toward one another, and both are intertwined. Keep your heart soft, tender toward God and one another. What did Jesus say? The reason why Moses permitted you to divorce your wife was because of your hard heart. That's why. So how do I keep my heart 
heart tender, soft. Well, I think there are many ways, but the one I would encourage us with is that whenever the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, be quick to confess and repent. Whenever the Holy Spirit, and guys, look, man, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you want to know what, the, what that feels like, you, you just know. You, you feel it. You feel it in you. You feel like a, a finger that's kind of punching in your gut. You just know that something has been wrong here and what I've done and my encouragement to you, man, my, not just me, but Jesus' encouragement to you is that whenever the Spirit of God convicts you of sin, don't dismiss it. Don't, you know, think it's going to go away. Don't go numb yourself. Don't go watch an episode of whatever or get online. Be quick to confess and agree with him that this is sin. This is wrong. This is not what leads to life. And then go to the party, whoever it may be that you've wronged, and ask for forgiveness and seek to reconcile as far as it depends upon you. Because as long as we try to justify our own sin, all we're doing is we're doing damage to ourselves. It's not leading to life. It's actually leading to death. For Jesus, and I don't know, it seems like this from this passage of Scripture, the only thing a marriage cannot survive is hardness of heart. Did you hear that? The only thing it seems that marriage cannot survive is the hardness of heart. Marriages can survive a lot, and I've seen it. Tragedy, the birth of a special needs child, the loss of a child, sickness, and sometimes even an affair. But a marriage cannot survive a heart that is closed off to one another and specifically to God's spirit that as his child dwells in you. And so I, I can't lay out all the implications of that, and, um, but, I, but I will say this, all right? And I say this in the context of love and compassion and open to dialogue more about this with you. But maybe you're here and you are divorced. And as you've been in the word of God and seeing what God's desire is for marriage, you feel conviction that maybe your divorce was not one that has any grounds in the Bible. And so my encouragement to you guys, look, and I know there's a lot more complexity than this, and this is not trying to dismiss the complexity of humanity with this, but my encouragement to you is that you would repent of the sin, that you would be in agreement with God and say, man, my divorce was not what God wanted. And actually, I probably pursued it more out of convenience than I was wanting to submit to what God wanted. And so I'm not saying that means you need to get back together with your spouse. I'm not. I'm not sure if that's even possible. But I am saying that to keep your heart tender toward God and one another, that maybe you go to your spouse and confess that sin and say, as far as you can, depends on you to reconcile with them.
That may not be the case for every one of us, right? But as long as we allow sin to linger in us, it hardens us. And I want to encourage us to remain soft and tender toward the Spirit of God and toward one another. So Jesus sees marriage as a covenant, not a contract. I mean, God, by God's Spirit, may he help us to keep our hearts soft by being quick to repent of sin and seek to reconcile as far as it depends upon us. So I'll end uh, today with, it's, it's kind of a lengthy quote. It's on the screen. Um, I'd recommend a book to you by a guy named Russ Moore. It's called The Storm-Tossed Family. And the nice thing about this book is it isn't just written for people that are in the, the season of life where they're raising children. It's written for the gamut, you know, uh, from that season all the way to empty nesters. And, and maybe you're in a season where you're, um, as an adult child, kind of navigating how to parent my, even my own parents and care for them and love them as they're getting older. He has a good chapter on divorce in there. And at the end of that chapter, um, he has this quote. And I just want to read it to you. And this is kind of how we'll land the plane this morning. A divorce culture is built off of the assumption that a divorce can actually give a new start. Those who are divorced can tell you that there really is not such a thing as an ex-husband or an ex-wife, even though such may be truly legal or even morally. One can divorce a person, but one cannot divorce the history one had together. That's why some of the hurting divorced people in our pews are grieving, not just over failed marriage or over the loneliness of being, as we callously put it, single again. Many are grieving because they thought at the end of the divorce, there would be a new start. The next marriage will be the one that meets all of their needs. But the old marriage lingers in the psyche and in the conscience. A covenant cannot be just packed up in boxes and moved out the door. A church that is anchored in the gospel of the cross, which is what I desire a church to be, will be a church that can say to the couple in crisis, stay married, don't divorce. Can say to the wrongly divorced person, repent of the sin against your family and your God. And can say to the repentant divorced person, God is not angry at you. You are forgiven all at the same time. We can get there only when families and churches and pastors and leaders love divorced people more than we fear being unpopular with them. And it can only happen when we frame what marriage is in terms of the cross. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.